Amen. Well, happy Celebration Sunday. What an exciting day. I'm excited today. I hope you're excited today. It's awesome to see all the sacrifice, all the sacrifice made, all the financial sacrifices made in the form of our pledges to this three-year financial commitment that we're making. And as Larry showed the slide and you saw the amount of pledges and you saw 1.2 million dollars, just to think about how incredibly large that kind of number is. But also when we look at the amounts, we just, we just divide the pledges by the total sum. This campaign is, it represents more individual sacrifice than even the last campaign three years ago. The individual gifts are larger than before, which means the sacrifice is larger than before. And so we are so excited about that. Can I just give you a round of applause for the sacrifice that you have made to the commitment of seeing this church's impact continue on? Now, as we think of that big number, $1.2 million, let me ask you this question. When will we see the reward? When will we see the reward of that sacrifice? Maybe for you, you think to yourself, you know what, Pastor Paul, I made a commitment, and I'm on a fixed income, and I've been on a fixed income, and my income hasn't changed from three years ago, but I decided to up my commitment because I love this church, I love the mission of this church, and I want to see it move forward. So to you, when you ask the question, what is the reward when will I receive the reward? When will I enjoy the reward of that sacrifice? Or, or maybe it's been different. I know I talked to one man. I'm not certain what my job landscape's going to look like. Uh, the company's going well, but there's just so much uncertainty, but we made a commitment anyways. Because with the Lord's help, here's what we plan to do. I talked to another man, and he told me, you know what, from the last one, we were actually able to double what we did last time. And we are so excited about that. So when, with all these sacrifices, will we receive the reward for those sacrifices? Now, if you think back just a couple weeks ago, we talked about when it comes to money, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can't take your possessions with you, right? You can't put a U-Haul, as Pastor Tim said, to a hearse. You can't take your stuff with you. But we talked about a couple weeks ago that you can send it ahead, the way you use your money now, the way you use your resources now, the way you use your talents now, the way you use pretty much everything now, you could use it in such a way that you'll experience a reward later. The Bible uses a term and says you can lay up treasures in heaven. So will we experience a reward for the sacrifices we've made? Absolutely. We'll experience it in the life to come. But is there anything we can experience now? Any present blessing now, and if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that God blesses. He loves to reward obedience. But it doesn't always look the same. Sometimes it's different. Sometimes he blesses you with a new job. Great. A better job. Great. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he blesses you with, with great health, and, and sometimes he doesn't. God's blessings and God's rewards for our obedience aren't always the same. But today I want to talk about a guaranteed blessing. Because Jesus guarantees a blessing, a reward, in this life for the sacrifices that we make. So I want to show this to you. Go, go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If we talked about money, we have really kind of honed in on Jesus' teaching about money. We felt like we would just consult the expert. 
right? So what we did is we followed after the teachings of Jesus when it comes to how to handle money, how to handle wealth, and all those things. So we're going to jump into Luke chapter 18. And here's what I think we're going to find. Is Jesus is going to say there is a guarantee blessing for our sacrifices. And that guaranteed blessing, that guaranteed reward is family. Family. Not biological family, but a spiritual family. If you're only going to write down one thing today, I want you to write this down. If you're only going to take one note today, I want you to write this down. This is the big idea for today. This is the answer to the question, what reward do we receive for our sacrifices? The big idea is this. Family. Family is the reward for sacrifice. Family is the reward for sacrifice. When I say family, again, I'm not talking about biology. I'm talking about a spiritual family. I'm talking about a family in which you are born into it by the power of God. And you are supernaturally bonded together. You receive new brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, new cousins, aunts, uncles, nieces, all of those things. And Jesus guarantees we will enjoy this blessing when we sacrifice for his kingdom. Look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Now this is going to take a little bit to get there because what you're going to see is really we need to set up this moment. We need to set up this moment, and in our passage in Luke chapter 18, we really have to kind of unpack the first part. It sets up the kind of context where Jesus will get to that promise, where Jesus will make that guarantee. So in the first part, we're going to see a man who is asked to make a sacrifice. And unlike many of you, he can't make the sacrifice. He won't do it. He won't sacrifice his money. He won't sacrifice his wealth. He won't sacrifice and follow Jesus. He won't do it. And it's kind of a depressing note. But the end of our passage will show that there are men, and there's a group of people in our passage who have made a sacrifice, and then Jesus gives them this guaranteed blessing that they will be rewarded with a spiritual family. Their spiritual family will grow, and they will grow in this spiritual family. So let's first set this up. It's going to take us a little bit of time, but let's set this up, and then we'll get to that guarantee from Jesus. So Luke chapter 18 Verse 18, Jesus is going to confront a man or speak to a man who's going to be asked to make a sacrifice, and sadly, he won't make it. All right, let me show you the start of this. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18. It says, A ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's stop here for a moment. What is this man asking? Well, first we see he assumes something. I can gain eternal life. I can earn eternal life. There's something I'm not doing. There's a gap in my spiritual resume. I need to do something to achieve eternal life. So he's already in this kind of earner mentality, this worker mentality. I can gain this if you just tell me what to do, Jesus. What's the plan of action so I can have eternal life. Now, Jesus' response is honestly a little confusing at first because the man addressed him as good teacher. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Like to us, it's, that's, that's very kind, right? We would call that polite. He's minding his manners. When you're talking to Jesus, call him good teacher. But look at Jesus' response to this. He doesn't like this title. Right? Look what he says in verse 19. 
And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now stop here. What is Jesus saying? Why? Jesus seems like he's being a little rude, to be honest. Right? He's being called good teacher. Seems like a, a term of, of honor. And Jesus pushes back. Well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. What's happening here? Is Jesus being rude? No, I don't think Jesus is being rude. This comment here, this title here, is very odd. To us, in a, as first century hearers, we don't hear this as anything but polite. In the first century world, especially on the lips of a Jew, that would not be a title used for a rabbi. That would not be a title used for a teacher. In fact, we can't find in ancient literature any time that a rabbi is addressed with the term God. Or sorry, good. And the reason is, is because this is an attribute of God. So to elevate a man to that status would just be, well, probably just flattery. It's probably just flattery. Maybe he's manipulating Jesus. If I give Jesus a compliment, maybe Jesus will give me a compliment. Let me butter up the teacher a little bit. Oh, you're such a good teacher, Jesus. You're so good. And I want to know what I can do to inherit eternal life. Maybe if I butter up the teacher, he'll give me a bargain when it comes to eternal life. Well, it costs everybody else this, but since you said I was good, you get half price heaven, right? You get to get in for less. Jesus looks at the man and says, no one is good except God. Now, Jesus isn't admitting that he's a sinner. He's not telling the man, I'm not good. If he wanted to say that, he just would have said that. That's not what Jesus is doing. Here's what I think Jesus is doing. I think Jesus is saying, you need to be careful how you use this term good. I don't think you understand this. You can't just throw this around. You can't just throw this around and just try to flatter me. Let's talk about what goodness actually is. And I think we'll see as Jesus progresses with this man, this is what he's trying to attack. You don't understand good. In fact, let's talk about good. Let's talk about your good. Because look at how Jesus just makes this nice transition to what? To the Ten Commandments or a portion of the Ten Commandments. So you want to know how to inherit eternal life. Let's see if you're good. You called me good. That's not a term you should use, use lightly. Let me see what you would call yourself. So Jesus goes on and speaks to the man and says this, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Part of you just wants to say, liar. There's no way. Like, where are his parents in the midst of this whole discussion? Right? You think they would testify, especially that last one, honor your father and mother? You told me you always cleaned up your toys? You didn't eat paste and break the crayons? Right? You were always obeying? But this man is what? Confident in himself. Oh, I got all of that. Oh, I'm good. You're good. I'm good. We're good. Everything's good. Now, notice what Jesus has missed. If you've been in church for a while, you've read your Bible for a while, or maybe you just kind of are aware of kind of Christian teaching, you know that there are ten commandments. Ten major commandments, and then all the other commandments, the hundreds of commandments that come out of the Old Testament, are really tied to those ten commandments. 
they almost feel like a table of contents, if you will. That these are ten chapters, ten commands, and if we unfold the rest of the commandments that we see in Scripture, they're tied to one of those commands, as if they fall in line with that chapter, that command. Well, we're missing some commands. All the commands that Jesus listed have to deal with our relationship to each other, our neighbor, our fellow man. But we're missing some commands. We're missing all the ones that deal with our relationship with God. So the man thinks he's passed the test this way. But he has he passed the test this way. Now, I think if he was true and honest to himself, he didn't pass the test this way. But Jesus moves on. He moves past that. He says, okay, let's talk about your good in relationship to God. One of the first commands is not to have an idol. To not put any gods before the true God. How have you done with that one? And that's what I think Jesus attacks next. And this is where we get to the point where the man is asked to make a sacrifice, a sacrifice that's too big for him to bear, sadly. Look what Jesus says next. The man said, verse 21, and he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you lack. Ooh, man, here it is. Jesus is almost saying, like, you got 99.99% of the questions right. Hey, there's only one more left on the test. One thing. And look what it is. It's a huge thing, and it happens to relate to his relationship with his wealth and his money. And that's connected to his relationship with God. Look what he tells the man to do. You lack one thing. So all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Wow. Sell how much? All of it. This is way bigger than capital gains, right? He's in another income tax bracket. You need to leave everything. Sell everything and then get rid of it he says distribute it to the poor he doesn't say you know what give it to your family give it to your grandkids he says no distribute it to the least fortunate get rid of all of it sell all of your your property liquidate all of your assets turn in all the stocks sell all the land give it all away wow and look at how the man responds that's a sacrifice way too big But when he heard these things, verse 23, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now, how should we read this passage? So we read this passage as if this is the command on all of us. Right, that as we went forward to a capital campaign, to a stewardship campaign, a financial campaign, that we should have all obeyed this command. Sell it all, fire sell, sell it all, and distribute it to the poor. Give it all away. Should we interpret it as that? No, I don't think so. I know some of you are like, whew, right? Should we interpret it like that? No, I don't think so. And the reason is, is because just one chapter later, Jesus is speaking to another rich man. Another rich man named Zacchaeus. And in Luke chapter 19, he doesn't tell him to sell everything. Look at verse 8. A very rich man, it says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, that's Jesus, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I've defrauded anyone for anything, I will restore it fourfold. He's not giving up everything. He's not selling everything and distributing it to the poor. He's giving half. That's still a pretty big amount. And he said, some of this I've gained unlawfully, criminally. I I will make up for that, even more so. And look at Jesus' comment. Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. He gained eternal life, and he didn't have to sell everything. So why did he ask this guy to sell everything? Here's why. Look down at your passage again, because this is very interesting if we look at what Jesus said. Because it's slightly confusing. Look at Luke chapter 18. He's dealing with this man, and he says this to the man in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said, one thing you still lack. How many things does he lack? One. Not a complicated number. He lacks one thing. There's only one thing missing. And look what Jesus proceeds to do. He gives him three commands. Wait a second, Jesus. Right? Are you being Trinitarian with us again? One God, three persons. Is that going on here? Is this Trinitarian math again? What are you doing, Jesus? You said I lack one thing, and then you tell me what? Sell, distribute, follow. You give me three commands, even though you told me I'm only lacking one thing. Now, what's wrong with Jesus' arithmetic there? Like, can Jesus not count? No, it's because Jesus is actually talking about one thing. And it's the one thing he asks all of us to do. It's the one command he asks all of us to do. And that's follow him. Go back to Luke chapter 9, just to show you that this has been the teaching of Jesus, really, from the very beginning. And it's the teaching of Jesus that comes to all of us. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, look at the words that Jesus uses. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and what? Follow me. What is Jesus doing in Luke chapter 18? Jesus is looking at this man, and he knows intimately what this man is struggling with. He knows the God that this man serves. He's already taught us just a couple of chapters ago that we cannot serve God and money. So Jesus peers into the heart of this man. He sees the God that's in his heart. He sees the one that he truly worships. He sees the center of his affection, the center of his passion, and he sees that it's money. And Jesus, with supernatural vision, says, if this guy is going to follow me, the idol must die. And what is that idol? What is that other God? It's money. And the only way he can assure that he'll have true love for God, he is so enthralled with his money, so lustfully attached to his wealth, so infatuated with his luxurious living, that the only way, the only way money will be able to loosen its grip on his heart is if he gets rid of all of it. All of it. This is not the command on all of us. But the command to follow is on all of us. Jesus is just making it specific. For some of us, it looks different. When Jesus says follow, we may serve the idol of self. We may serve the idol of success, the idol of career. We may serve uh, the idol of wealth. We may serve several different idols. 
And when Jesus says, follow, that command may look like sell it all. Or give away some of it. Or quit your job. Or stop doing this habit or this behavior. Or prioritize your family. The, the call on us, the sacrifice is on all of us to follow Jesus. It just looks different for each of us. But no matter what it is, it feels impossible. The sacrifice is too big. The idol in all of our hearts, whether it's wealth or it's sex, whatever it is, to get rid of it is too big. The sacrifice feels too large. The man felt it. He said he went away sad. Why was he sad? Because he was extremely rich. But look at the disciples' reaction. Because I think for us as 21st century readers, we almost resent the rich. I think this is true even in America, right? We resent the rich. Oh, those one percenters. Which is, I think, hilarious because the American dream is to be a one percenter. So we hate the people we wish we could become. Right? We downplay, oh, look at him. He's got all this stuff. And what do we do? We buy lottery tickets. So how does that work? So you want to be them until you are them. You're just going to hate them. Right? We're not very consistent there. But, but, but look at how the disciples respond because they have a different view of the rich. They believe the rich have the best opportunity to receive God's blessing. They believe their riches are actually a sign of God's blessing. They think these guys have got the best shot to get into the kingdom of God. And this extremely rich man who, who, who we think is blessed by God, if he's not going to make it, oh man, we have no shot. There's no bailout for us. Look at how the disciples respond. Verse 24. And seeing that he had become sad, Jesus says this, how difficult it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. That would be shocking to those that heard this. Verse 25. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying there? The largest animal they know in first century Palestine that would be local to them would be a camel. The largest animal. The smallest opening they would know would be the eye of a needle. So Jesus is just trying to, through hyperbole and exaggeration, say, this is impossible. It is impossible for any of us to kill our idol that lays inside of our heart. But look what the disciples say. Verse 26. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? Man, if he's not making it, I'm not making it. There's no way that we could sacrifice as much as you're saying, Jesus. There's, there's just no way. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the point. It is impossible. But look what he says in verse 27. What is impossible with man it's possible with God. Here's the hard part here. Here's the saddest part here. Is this rich man, even though he was gripped by his wealth, even though there was a, a spell cast upon his heart that wouldn't allow him to be released from his idolatry with money, if he would just come to Jesus and said, help me, help me, help me be released from this. I want eternal life. I love my luxurious life, but I want eternal life. And I know i got to sell it all, but that seems so incredibly hard. If you just would have run to Jesus humbly and said, I need your help to do that, he would have gotten it. And the camel would have gone through the eye of a needle. We all come to Jesus this way. Jesus asks us too much. Too much. He asks us to surrender our identities. 
to surrender our ambitions, to sacrifice our embrace of wealth and the American dream, to sacrifice everything. And under that burden of the calling of Jesus to follow him, you should feel just like this. This is impossible. This is impossible. It's like a camel going through an eye of a needle. I can't do this. Exactly you can't do this. You need the power of God to do it. And the man missed out on great reward because he wouldn't come to God to enable him to make great sacrifice. But there is a man and a group of men who have made this sacrifice. And here's where the guarantee comes. Look at Peter's response. He's just watched this man fall under the expectation of Jesus. It's so sad. It's just kind of a, a really downer of a scene. But look at Peter's response to all of this. Verse 28, And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. What is Peter saying? Hey, Jesus, all the stuff you asked that guy to do, we've done it. You told him to get rid of everything, to sell everything. We've done that. We've sacrificed everything for you, Jesus. We've left our vocation We've left our careers. We've left our families. We are traveling with you on this whole teaching journey. Jesus, we've done everything you asked this man to do. We, by the power of God, have made that sacrifice. And Jesus doesn't respond and say, no, you haven't. He acknowledges, yes, you have. And just like many of us in this room who've made the financial commitment, the sacrifice for this three-year campaign, and beyond that as well, Jesus does not deny the sacrifice that he has made and you have made, that Peter has made. Instead, he does this. He says, let me tell you about the reward. And this is where Jesus gives us the guarantee, the guarantee of family. Yes, Peter, you have left everything. In fact, you've all left everything. The way Luke describes the disciples following Jesus for the first time, especially in Luke chapter 5, he uses the same exact terminology that Peter is using here. They left everything. And look at Jesus' response. And I think this is what Jesus is exactly saying to you. To you who have made sacrifices, whether it be on a fixed income or not knowing the future of your career, this is the promise that Jesus guarantees to you. Here's the return presently, right now, for your sacrifices. Look what Jesus says to Peter and what he says to us as well. Verse 29. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this what? Time. Right now. It's very clear what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about later. He talks about later. Well, later in the verse. He says, in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. There's a reward at the end, but there's a reward now. And Jesus guarantees it. He guarantees it through the use of a, a double negative. He says, no one will not. Now, he could have just said, Everyone will. He could have said that very easily. But why does he use that kind of language? 
Because he wants to show the impossibility of anybody not receiving this reward. He says, no one will not. There is no way that God will not do this. It is impossible to conceive of. This reward is guaranteed. Now, what is the reward? Right? In Luke, it says the sacrifice is clear. It's family. You've left house. You've left wives, brothers, and sisters. You have sacrificed family. I think even those terms, home, right, or house, should be translated or, or understood the same way. You've sacrificed family. Mark picks up the same teaching of Jesus. Look at this in Mark chapter 10. Same language, just Mark gives us a little bit more. He says this in Mark chapter 10, verse, I'll read verse 29. Really, you see the same words here. Truly I say to you, there is no one, again that double negative, who has left his house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for the sake or for my sake and for the gospel, who will not. You see the same language? It is impossible that they'll miss out on this blessing. What is the blessing? We've sacrificed the most intimate attachments. What? Our family, our blood, our last name. We've made sacrifices. And what does Mark pick up on? Verse 30, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. Do you hear that? A hundredfold children. You may, not, you may stop giving to the church. You're like, I don't want that many, right? Now he says a hundredfold children, lands, now notice this word, with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. What does he say? The reward doesn't mean a pain-free life. And you know that if you've been following Jesus just for a year, two years, or 35 years, you know this isn't easy. You know it's hard. You know it's painful. You know it comes with its difficulties. But you also know a very real reward. You get family. You get family. You get brothers and sisters, and mothers and fathers, and nieces and nephews. And he's not talking about biological bonds. He's talking about spiritual bonds. He's saying, right now, what I'm giving you is family. This is why you gave. This is why I gave. Why do we give? Because we want our family to grow. Why do we give? Because we want to grow in this family. And there is nothing like the spiritual bonds that are created in the church. There's nothing even close to it. As deep as our bonds are to our biological family, much deeper is the bonds spiritually to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and don't get me wrong, family is a blessing. Biological family is a blessing. It's something that should be nourished, something that we should cherish, something that we should nurture. But there's something much deeper to the unity that is formed in the family of faith. And I'll tell you, man, I know this so much in my life. And I was reminded of it this week. I can look back to when I first became a Christian. I was a young, angry boy who had just lost his father. And then I went to a church, and I gained a spiritual father. Many of you know him. I call him my father. He calls me my son. 
And there's no, there's no biological bond. That's clear when you first meet us. He's black, I'm white. There's no biological bond. I love to introduce him to people when I first meet him. Here's my dad. I love just to watch their face, right? And my remark is usually always the same. You can't tell, it's the cheekbones, right? Clearly it's there. But there is a spiritual bond there that I would give the world to have. And I would give the world for other people to have. I felt it this week too. My wife and I were reminded of it. We went down south and we saw a bunch of people from our church in Southern California. We did a wedding and it was awesome. We got some of these really just joyous moments. We got to hang out with this couple and we got to, you know, preside over the ceremony and this young couple we've walked through different struggles with. This, he was a, 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 one of our interns and just a, a wonderfully gifted individual. And so to be a part of their lives and then we're talking to other students who are now pursuing master's degrees and going into university and they're making these huge life choices and we're having this great, wonderful, just celebration time, but jam-packed in this small little trip was also times of great tragedy. One of our closest friends in, in our life group, she's uh, battling uh, breast cancer. And she had just gotten out of a surgery and the next day, or a couple days away from that, she, she comes in a wheelchair to the wedding because she just wants to see my wife and I. Okay, let's be honest, my wife. And just to hug her, you know, to bend down in her wheelchair and hug her and celebrate the victory that God has released her from any worry of cancer, that God has totally taken that away. And just to be with her, to cry with her, to, to hug her, to hold her, Another wonderful woman in our church down south. I don't want to say her name, but just a wonderful woman. She's dealing with a disease in her liver, and she may not have more than a year. And her grandbaby was just born a couple weeks ago. I missed out on the opportunity of being able to visit her because she was actually going to visit her grandson. And I told her, hey, that's okay. He's a lot cuter than me. But I'd love to just talk to you over the phone. And I just talked to her. And I prayed with her, and we cried together. Talked to another brother whose wife is dealing deeply with anxiety during this time, who had to broach the conversation of if she would harm herself and what that would look like, and if that was a true danger, and we just cried together. You know, I remember when, I, when God called me to go down south to that church, and we left Valley Bible Church, our family of faith. We never really left. Right, you guys know that. I annoyed you with a visit every time we were up here. We always said Valley Bible Church is our, is our home away from home church. Once you become family, you can't shake it off. You can't just avoid it, send a card on Thanksgiving or birthdays. It's, it doesn't work like that. When you are plunged supernaturally into the family of God, you can't shake these relationships. And the same thing was true when we went back down south, and we believe that God has called us back up here, and we love those people down there, but we can't shake family. We can't get them off. They are a part of us. And this is the beauty, really, because God does not promise us an easy life, a pain-free life. But what does he promise? He promises you're not going to do this alone. You may get cancer. Your marriage may fall apart. Your kids may run away and abandon any of the values that they've 
ever said that they admired from your teaching as a child. Your heart may be broken. You may be bruised. You may disappoint yourself. You may fall into patterns of shame. Back to your old life and suffer again from the consequences of an addiction that you had in your past. You may run into all of those obstacles. All of them. God has promised what? I'm going to give you family. That's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you brothers and sisters in Christ, and you will walk through life not being alone. And that is exactly why we give. What does $1.2 million mean? It means this family is going to grow. And it means you're going to get to grow in this family. And that's something I would give everything for. And it's something that Christ gave everything for. We thought it was only appropriate. If we're going to celebrate sacrifice, we have to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to take the cup that's in the pew back in front of you, and I want you to take this cup. We're going to celebrate communion together. You see, because this is the true foundation of the wonderful family that we have. There's a very real sense in which your family here may not be biological blood, but it's blood. Because it was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hold on to this. I don't want you to take it yet. Because we're going to do this as a family. The foundation of our family is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is through his death and resurrection that we have life or we have new birth. We experience a life restored to God. Our sins forgiven. We are family because of what he did for us. He gave us his life and then he puts us together. He binds us together. And so what we're going to do is this. We're going to take some time to celebrate and reflect. We're going to sing about half a song. That's why the band's up here with me. And we're just going to reflect for the first half of that song. Then I'm going to come back up here, and we are going to take the elements together as a family. We're going to participate together as a family. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I I want you to hear me. These symbols right here are incredibly meaningful. I know it looks small, but the significance is not small. It's something very, very important and something I think we should take very seriously. And I don't want you to feel any pressure to take part of symbols you don't yet believe in. That's fine. But this time is still for you. We're going to stand. We're going to hold these elements. We're going to sing this song and we're going to reflect. And I want you to do the same thing. I want you to reflect. Reflect on this. Jesus offers you life and he offers you family. If you're looking for direction in your life, if you're looking for why is all of this happening, if you're looking for a plan, a story that makes sense of all of it, it's only in the storyline of God, your creator, who made you. That you've moved away from him because of your choices. You've broken his commands. Like the man, your resume doesn't look very good. You may feel good at times, but if you really examine, you've fallen short. But God has not left you there. To say, be alone in your shame. Be alone in your guilt. No, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. And he says, I can bring you back to me. You can have life with me. I can restore you. Repent and believe 
and the death and resurrection of my son. Jesus offers you life and he offers you family. One of the greatest tragedies of life is to be alone. Haven't we felt that? Physically sheltering in place and distancing. But worse than physical sheltering in place is spiritually sheltering in place. Is walking through life, sitting in a crowded room, but truly inside being alone. You're not made for that. You're made to be a part of family. You're made to be a part of this family. Jesus offers you life, and he offers you family. I'm going to pray over these elements in a moment. And if you want to take that step towards Jesus, if you want to take that step to say, Jesus, today's the day I'm running after you. Jesus, today's the day I'm admitting that I'm a sinner. Jesus, today's the day I want to commit my life to you. Jesus, today's the day I want you to give me life. Jesus, today's the day I want to be family. I've been walking this life alone too long. I've been walking this life too much in my shame and in my guilt. And I know there's brokenness inside and I can't mask it with my success. I need you, Jesus. If today is that day, I'm going to pray in a moment. And I want you to follow me in a prayer. Because I want you to step over that line today and start following Jesus. So church family, will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for these elements that are right here before us. A piece of bread and some juice. These don't represent snack. No, these represent your sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Your death and your resurrection. Oh, Father, we pray that right now that we would revere you, that we would celebrate you. Yes, it's Celebration Sunday, but the reason we were able to raise so much money is because we celebrate your sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Father, your sacrifice when you gave of your son. Jesus, your sacrifice when you died upon that cross and rose again. When you bore the weight of our sin. We celebrate you today. We never have to worry about pledges coming in. There's one pledge, and that is of the Son of God who pledged himself for us. And the return was everything. Not a million units of currency but everything. You restored all things through the pledge of your death and resurrection. And today we celebrate you, King Jesus, our great sacrifice. And oh, Father, I pray for all those out there feeling like they don't have life, feeling like they don't have family. Oh, Jesus, I pray that they would see you. Symbolized in these elements right here, they can have life. They can have family. If that's you and you're out there, whether you be joining us online or you're in the room with us, if you want to take the step towards Jesus today, you want to start following Jesus today, this is in the silence of your own heart. You can pray a very simple prayer with me like this. You can say this to Jesus. You say, Father, I admit, I admit that I'm broken. I admit I have fallen short. I haven't done all your commands. Father, I see that I'm guilty. Oh, but Father, I see that you have a way out. You have a way that I can have forgiveness, that I can be restored, that I can be called righteous, that I can be called son, that I can be called daughter, that I can be your child. 
Today I commit my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. Restore me back to you. I believe Jesus died and rose again to bring me back to you. So today, today is my day. Today is the day I follow you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.